0: Warning, Mr. Cole and Mr. Rasner are not historians, journalists, or socialists. In the course of this episode, they will use profanity, consume alcohol, make inaccurate claims, and discuss violent and disturbing acts. Fact-checking and listener discretion is advised. four ounces of freedom. I am Mr. Cole.
1: And I'm Mr. Rasner, and we talk trucks. We only talk trucks, people. <laughs> like, don't ask us to talk about other stuff. It's just trucks. That's what this podcast is, trucks.
0: Indeed. Uh, right now, we're drinking Lost Coast Hazy IPA, uh, which is pretty good. It is good. It's a it's a nice uh, IPA. I'm.
1: Um... It's obviously trendy right now to do the hazy IPAs like let's talk for a second about what like what makes an IPA hazy because I'm kind of ignorant I don't know I'm assuming you do
0: it has to do with uh, has to do with the yeast and flocculation
1: yeah which is just fun to say
0: yeah so that's how like the yeast clump together and settle out to the bottom some yeast uh, stay in suspension and leave it cloudy
1: yeah
0: I think is the biggest thing and you can you can kind of control that by um harvesting yeast in different ways at different times when you're brewing uh to make it you know a lot of breweries have like top fermenting where it all goes to the top or it all goes to the bottom it, it just depends on when you harvest your yeast and it's like you kind of train it it's pet yeast yeah that's cool so the first thing i have actually um is a a beer story in history Um, this story comes from a statement made uh, by last podcast on the left in their three-part series on bonnie and clyde Uh, i was amazed at what i learned about bonnie and clyde on this over six-hour podcast series Uh, check it out it's very adult which you can expect if you're listening to our podcast uh, last podcast uh, relates facts Intermixed with comedy uh, I learned and laughed out loud Many times on my way to work Which is weird when you're Listening to stories of mass murderers To be laughing <laughs> But uh, yeah they're, they're real interesting guys One guy's like real serious Kind of telling the story And then after about every two or three sentences The other two guys tell jokes about it
1: That's what you want
0: Yeah, It's, it's a good podcast so check it out Uh, This story comes from a time when Minnesota had a special relationship with crime around the turn turn of the century, uh, mostly in the 1920s. There was a corrupt judicial system forwarded by St. Paul's chief of police, John O'Connor, as early as 1900. He was quietly telling criminals that St. Paul could be used as a refuge as long as they took their crime outside the city. Criminals could do whatever they wanted in any other state, but in St. Paul they were expected to act like law-abiding citizens. The The way it worked was you, when you came to St. Paul, you were to introduce yourself to the police when you entered the city. The police would then ask you what you needed. If it was shelter, women, or if you needed to launder money, the cops would assist you. In Paul Maccabee's book, John Dillinger Slept Here, a crook's tour of crime and corruption in St. Paul, 1920 through 1936. He calls St. Paul, at the time, the Walmart for gangsters.
1: Sounds like just local politician and police corruption at a terrible level.
0: Yeah. The president of Theodore Hamm's brewery, William Hamm Jr., kept a daily schedule. At 12.45 every day, he walked to his 20-room red brick mansion for lunch. In June of 1933, his lunch plans were interrupted and the community of St. Paul that accepted a corrupt police system as some sort of protection began to really question the concept as some criminals stepped over the line. A black sedan pulled up beside him and four figures threw a hood over Ham's head and shoved him onto the floor of their car as they headed for the Wisconsin border. (coughs) While in captivity, Ham was a calm and subdued gentleman. The criminals thought they may have had the wrong man because he was so relaxed.
1: Is this just for <coughs> kidnapping for ransom?
0: Yeah. Uh, they didn't ra- relax until they found his name uh, stitched into his coat. Ham was held in a safe house in B- Bensonville, Illinois, with boarded-up windows. He was forced to sign four ransom letters asking for a $100,000 which is a lot more nowadays. A few days later, Ham was returned without suffering any damage, and the barker carpus gang got away with fat wallets.
1: That'd be about a million bucks now, I'd say. I would think,
0: yeah. The result would be the end of their own career and the complete change to the Minnesota legal system. The barker carpus gang was comprised of some of the most wanted men at the time. It contained Fred Barker and Alan Carpus. And for the hand kidna- for the ham kidnapping, they enlisted Freddie Gotz, one of Al Capone's triggermen who participated in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. The gangsters were also helped by crooked cops in the St. Paul Police Department. They gave the criminals inside information about the hunt for them, and St. Paul Police Executive Tom Brown received $25,000 of the ransom, which was more than any of the kidnappers received. People in the area were used to seeing famous criminals in restaurants and walking the streets openly, but now the status quo was challenged as one of the elites was a victim of a crime. A year after the kidnapping, local citizens led by St. Paul's Daily News helped set up a wiretap in the St. Paul Police Department. This exposed dozens of corrupt officials. Most of the city's police resigned. Wait, this
1: is the reporters
0: that set up the wiretap? Yeah, from the St. Paul Daily News and citizens that's kind of an
1: unusual thing to have happen
0: when it's the cops though how do you get a cop to get a cop
1: and that's like the—that that is kind of what the press is supposed to be for they're almost supposed to be like a branch of government to keep a check on government so it's kind of neat
0: yeah uh, most of the city's police resigned or faced jail time and St. Paul was no longer a crime haven
1: so is sorry is there more yeah. I think that's the end. So like this guy, Mr. Ham, that was So what's was,
0: interesting is Prohibition. Right. So they were making like soda and stuff out the front door. Yeah. But Ham's beer is out the back door. Okay. And I think I think during Prohibition mostly they they worked for they tried to do hard alcohol, but I could be wrong on that.
1: Yeah, probably beer was attainable. But like so and it's funny, like, like let's get off on a tangent, but I, I want to come back to talking about this Mr. Ham guy. So, it's interesting that, um, that beer was sort of still gettable and obtainable during Prohibition. Because, obviously, you and I know that you can be a pretty... Like serious alcoholic and just drink beer, like like we, yeah. like we're aware that that's a thing that can occur. It's possible we have some personal experience with that, but um, like the perception among the people who instituted prohibition was probably that whiskey was like like less moral than beer, and I have. I don't think my mom's ever going to listen to this, so I'm going to pick on her a little bit. My mom definitely, like, draws a line between me drinking beer and me drinking whiskey. This has been, you know, for a decade. I could sit around and have... I could drink six-pack over the course of the afternoon. She won't say anything. It doesn't seem to bother her. But the whiskey did seem to bother her. I'd say less lately. I I think that she... She, she she's she's eased up a bit or she keeps keeps it to herself, but when I was twenty five if I had like a whiskey nightcap like that was definitely gonna elicit like some criticism from my mom and I think yeah. that prohibition itself like the whole temperance movement of the early twenties and the early teens you know was carried out largely by women who were Christian and sort of in seeking to like impose their Christian morality on society and I I, I kind of see how I, I have a little experience with someone that's a Christian and and draws a moral line between whiskey and beer it never made sense to me but
0: so here's a weird thing um... My mom's perception, <clears throat> at least this is how I remember when I was a kid, and you know, mom or dad, whatever, I could be wrong. You can correct me if you listen. Um, it seems to me that, like, in my mom's mind, whatever my dad was drinking, he's an alcoholic. Yeah. But in his mind, if he's just drinking beer, it's like, tantamount on to quitting yeah. <laughs> like, What are you talking about? I used to drink a fifth of whiskey a night. I'm just drinking beer. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. a fucking problem. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's funny. This, so this this ham guy, now like it sounds like if it he was kinda messed
0: him up too. It like it, it left its mark on him, you know. People who knew him said he was different after that, but he he handled it well and they didn't uh, harm him in any way.
1: Yeah. Um what I was gonna ask well like, like cause having guns pointed at you is no joke, you know. Yeah. That's whatever and, you
0: want.
1: Yeah, like you you probably and, and if it's prolonged for day after day like that, you get to thinking, you know.
0: Yeah, I think he was in captivity for like three days it took him to get the money to See, get that.
1: that's enough for you to calm down and sort of start thinking about all the terrible things these people could do to you. Right. Right? Um Whereas a quick encounter, even a quick robbery where a guy comes up and whips out a knife and asks for my wallet, that happens so f- and obviously I would just give it to him because yeah. my wallet's not worth getting hurt over. Like, like that kind of a quick encounter, you don't have time to do any thinking. Right. That's just over. And But whereas someone holds you for three days, you start to think about now, really uh, ugly things that could yeah. happen to you.
0: And it's funny we're talking about that because listening to this Bonnie and Clyde thing, um, there's a term for it, and my brain doesn't remember it. But where, like, you become like friends with your captor. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, Stockholm syndrome. So they had that One all. One of the my time. favorite
1: Muse songs, by the way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so they they had that happening all the time. I wonder if he experienced, like, if he became friendly with some of those guys, or or if it was just animosity the whole time. It's hard to say.
1: So Laura and I watched a the Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it, it was acted out. It was well done. Was it done by History or Netflix? I, I don't. Actually. The
0: one that's on the Netflix where it's from like the two cops' point of view. Yeah. So they talk a little bit about that. They talk about what's good and bad about that.
1: We didn't finish it. We enjoyed it tremendously.
0: I really liked it.
1: But and and, and that sort of period piece from that time of history is sort of right in our wheelhouse anyway.
0: You listened to um, that podcast I talked about. It'll blow your mind.
1: Oh, the last podcast on the left. I, I'd like to. I,
0: it's an investment. It's like over six hours.
1: I, 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 don't. I don't get to listen as much as I used to.
0: You got to go back tonight.
1: <laughs> but um, I remember them looking at footprints by her, where she was like dragging one foot in a weird way, and they decided she was wounded.
0: Yeah. See, I never knew that she. Did had, that end
1: up being true?
0: There was they, he. Clyde crashed in the night. Yeah. Like it, back then, it was a really dumb idea to drive fast at nighttime. And um, when they crashed, the battery exploded and covered her legs with battery acid. Oh. Okay. I guess to the bone in some spots. And he was wow. literally carrying her most of the time.
1: Yeah, she didn't weigh more than 100 pounds, I'd say.
0: Right. But she, like, literally couldn't walk at that point in her life. They, huh. they had a really rough go. It's rough. And now was no she idea.
1: was she acquiring so like <clears throat> narcotic pain meds existed in the twenties? Was she acquiring and using analgesics of
0: some sort? I think sh- sort? I think aspirin.
1: That's it.
0: I think there was mention of. It aspirin. wasn't
1: like morphine or laudanum, or I don't think so. They're on the, the,
0: they're on the run, dude. People want to put bullets in them.
1: I know that's tr- it's it's tricky stuff. now the the scenes from that show and again the totality of what I know about Bonnie and Clyde comes from that show right? I
0: know me too too. I learned so much on that that podcast is extremely in depth now were they
1: really sneaking back to like have family dinners with relatives what was that in
0: Texas or something I believe so
1: some suburb of Dallas or
0: I can't remember yeah that was true crazy you're not going to believe this 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 is a short little thing but this goes back to a subject we talked about um uh I think on episode one or two sorry someone texted me and took my concentration away um we had talked about um Mike Boudet on of sword and scale um Made a post on International Women's Day you Right, that? right,
1: he fucked that up
0: So he lost his Monstro show <clears throat> And was pulled from his other show uh, Sword and Scale As uh, advertisers pulled their support for the show
1: Demonetized, too. Yeah.
0: So Mike was working behind the scenes With Sword and Scale's Patreon site While Trisha Griffith Took over the helm and did seven episodes Of Sword and Scale uh, She is now returning her focus To her true crime forum, websleuths.com, as Mike Boudet's returning. Okay. So, unbelievably, he, like, got put in the penalty box.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and got let
0: out. Like, this never happens, dude. Look at Paula Dean. Yeah, yeah. Gone.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Imus. Gone. You know, that's why I have that whole song called Censored. You know, freedom yeah. of speech isn't a right. Yeah. It's something you have to apologize for, and then you lose your fucking job anyways. Yeah. So, him coming back is amazing to me
1: yeah he successfully like rehabilitated himself
0: after only seven episodes too but here's the thing that i think is kind of weak about the reinstatement of mike Boudet: he's re-releasing the griffith episodes with his own voice so in other words hmm. like she came in and did Didn't seven episodes the and odd. then he's like uh so i'm gonna redo those and re-release them huh
1: well, it's obviously gotta be a monetary reason Like people
0: Well, I say, you know, leave those episodes alone And move on, because I'm not gonna listen to him again <laughs> You know I usually don't listen to right. him more than once anyways When it's still the same dude Right um, It's like some weird ego thing r- You think it's ego? Head. It can't be yeah, just because ego, right? What, like... You know what he's done? He's erased that it's ever happened
1: Yeah, I see that
0: And then, um, so I listened to his new episode Which was very good and um, there's some weird long explanation on how to, like, you have to go in and delete the old episodes and then reboot your phone and download the new ones and go through all this shit. And it's like,
1: click your heels together three times and say, "There's one no One of the place new like ones home. was
0: already on there. So <laughs> I, I, the, apparently, I missed one of her episodes, and it was it was Mike Boudet, and that's what blew me away. I'm like, whoa, this. It sounds like Mike Boudet, but he never says his name.
1: Yeah.
0: In the official first episode, he explains everything. Huh. He sounds very upbeat. Uh-huh. Um, very... I don't know if, if you can sound younger, but... I wouldn't know. <laughs> unless I, There's, like, a button that makes your podcast go at, like, twice the speed or something. I may have that button pushed. I don't know. But, uh... Uh, you know, Sword and Scale received many requests through tweets, emails, voicemails, and direct messages asking for Mike back. Uh, Mike Boudet says, I'm excited to be back on Sword and Scale. It's what I love to do and what I know how to do best, although I don't think I'll be back on social media anytime soon. Huh. All
1: right.
0: Which, he's a big proponent for freedom of speech and and uh, against uh, being politically correct. Yeah but
1: it sure kicked him in the dick. Yeah. So, um, I have a fun story to tell.
0: Well, good. I have to get another. I was going to say,
1: what would it take to get another one of these? Um, so we went camping and we, we were at this little campground on Bodega Bay. That's kind of fun. And it's sort of on a peninsula with like another peninsula next to it. That, uh, that the fishing boats come in on so there's not a ton of traffic and the peninsula that is next to the campground think of it as like a large mostly empty parking lot with you know some salty old fishermen cleaning fish and drinking a beer and but it's to walk there from the campground is no joke um it'd go at least a quarter mile maybe more and laura and i are there with my two children, Ruby, Leo, they're five and two. And they like we're... Drinking age. Trying... <laughs> we're trying to um, sort of free-range them to the extent that we're able to stomach it as parents. Laura is currently reading the book Free-Range Kids by I want to say it's Lenora Skenazy. Um She's a lady who Um, has looked at all of the crime stats and basically said, like, look, the world is safer in every way by an order of magnitude than it was when we were all growing up.
0: There's another guy with a book about how, you know, everyone talks about how bad things are. Things are better than they've ever been. Something
1: optimist, yeah. Yeah. It's true, because, because of the way... News is presented, and um,
0: but free range kids. The title makes me think that you're required to have uh,
1: like dreadlocks
0: no, and lots of tie dye.
1: That's like, but like. It
0: sounds like it's not that way.
1: It's not, and but you you probably get people with dreadlocks and tie dye that are doing this. When they
0: buy this book. They're like, "What the fuck?"
1: And the people with dreadlocks and tie dye are probably equally likely to be critical.
0: Dreadlocks didn't work for me. Just one <laughs> lock is what I got. One big. <laughs> Mass terrible thing on my head.
1: So, at any rate, um, the Lenora Scanese, and I'm probably getting her name wrong, I'm so sorry, it, I, like, I'm drinking, and it's a complicated name, but she has been in hot water for letting her kids ride the subway in New York City, Whoa. like, in the daytime at a young age. I don't know the age, I'm sure her book explains it. I'm not reading it, my wife is. Um, but, at any rate, She, she, to the extent that she has sent her kids somewhere on the subway and had them return to her in a police car. Wow. With, like, social services being, you know, notified and and questioning occurring.
0: What are you goofy kids doing? We're free range, bitch.
1: So, that's one way to go. (laughs) And, and that's, that's essentially where we were. So... We, we decided at this campground to use walkie-talkies. Now my mom got Ruby walkie-talkies for her birthday and they work pretty well. They, they work for at least half a mile, like no problem. And so they, these kids wanted to walk out of the campground and sort of out onto this peninsula where they would be very far away and I would be able to see them but it would take me several minutes to get there. Like, even if I just jumped in my truck and started driving, it would still take at least a minute, or maybe even two or th- more likely two or three, to get there. But what I did is I said that they could go walk out there, and I had them take a walkie talkie, and I took a walkie talkie with me. And then I climbed on top of the camper that we're in right now, which is a cab over camper on the back of my three-quarter ton. And so I could see pretty far. I'm, on the um, back of what? On the back of a three-quarter ton. Oh. I, I would say... Vehicle? That, I would say the word, but I don't have a shot to take. Oh. <laughs> so I was avoiding it. You could tell what was going on there. Um, there might be whiskey in here somewhere.
0: Long-time listeners.
1: At any rate, so I'm standing with... My feet, 13 feet in the air, and I'm approximately 9 feet tall. So I can see a long way, and I can see I can see my children very well the entire time. And I have this walkie-talkie so I can talk with them. But um, there is a little bit of a, a, a difficulty in watching them so far away, knowing that it would take you a minute to get there. But we did it, and so what what it turns out is true and is very funny is that when other parents see two young children walking by themselves oh, they great. stop yeah they they get uncomfortable with it as as one does when they are uptight and nosy and they try to stop and talk to my children so i have ruby that has like vehicles pulling up next to her with you know concerned moms who just completely mean well saying like. Like, where are your parents? And so Ruby calls me on the walkie-talkie, and she's like, there's, "There's, people in this car asking like if I'm looking for something." Oh my god! And so I answer back, "Tell them to mind their own business."
0: Oh my god!
1: <laughs> and they can totally hear me because it's a walkie-talkie, and they like, drive off. Jesus! I kind of expected to have the sheriff show up or social services or something, but it didn't occur. Wow. And I really enjoyed that. I had a
0: ton of fun. So. Must have been resolved, whatever that was.
1: Yeah, dog fights. Who cares? Anyway.
0: Skin hunters. Have you ever heard of this? I've not. So, skin hunting is a practice among Polish ambulance crews of taking a bribe from funeral homes in exchange for the personal information of the recently deceased.
1: Oh, okay. It the gives feet. them a tip to, like, ac- acquire a business. Right. Who? Oh, really?
0: Yeah.
1: Sorry, can we pause it?
0: Yeah. Okay, so...
1: you want Here, <coughs> reach up and just put that thing back to the... Uh, it's the knob on the right. This? Yeah, just put it back to...
0: So we had the case of the old unexpected visitor there, uh, but now we're back with uh, fresh beers. Um, And we had a
1: few. We had a few with the visitor. Yeah, so... (laughs) We're a little
0: little smarter than we were. We're moving in the right direction. (laughs) So skin hunting is a practice among Polish ambulance crews of taking a bribe from funeral homes in exchange for personal information of the recently deceased. The funeral home would then get the business of the deceased family before any other funeral home would, and they would kick money back to the paramedics in the form of a tip. Many times, the part, the money, was part of a tariff that was paid by the state, or part of the bill that was passed along to the family. When this started, ambulance crews just passed on the information of patients who had legitimately died but it would soon be realized that more bodies equaled more money (laughs) oh come on (laughs) Yeah, some medics weren't carrying out life saving measures as diligently as they used to as well as stopping on the way to the hospital or making unnecessary detours in hopes that the patient would be pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital resuscitation efforts were abandoned and life saving drugs withheld oh my god dude where is this now? Poland So, get yourself to the hospital if you're in Poland. The practice became widespread in Poland, and it's hard to understand why police turned a blind eye to the situation. There's evidence that shows that the police, as well as the medical community, were aware of the skin hunting practice. Finally, there was a case of skin hunting that was so blatant that the authorities could no longer ignore it. This occurred in Lotz, Poland in 1995. A major ringleader in the scam was a man who had every emergency medic on his payroll. He was brash in his activities and openly boasted about the money he was making. His error was in trying to recruit a young paramedic who was horrified and went to the police.
1: Somebody that uh,
0: had some ethics? Yeah,
1: that actually stuck by their principles. That's good.
0: The practice practice was, uh, I'm sorry, instead of setting up a sting operation, the police simply arrested him. He denied all the charges and was released. The hospital, wisely, did not hire him back. The police's analysis of the skin hunting trade went cold for a time after this incident. The practice was brought back to public attention in 2002 when the Polish newspaper, Gazetta yeah,
1: I read that at least three times a week.
0: And my pronunciation is perfect. Obviously. Without question. Released an article about it. In the article, it was mentioned that the dead patients were referred to as skins, hence the name of the article, Skin Chasers. In January 2007, four employees and lots were sentenced for targeting elderly patients and using the muscle relaxant pancuronium. A.K.A. Pavlon? Is that how you say it? P-A-V? I'm unfamiliar. So Pavlon is used to stop a patient's breathing.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a paralytic for intubation.
0: Yes, when they're going to be put on a ventilator.
1: I think we call it Vecaronium, but huh. probably the same thing.
0: Without a ventilator, the patient suffocates as they are unable to draw breath. Yeah. The patient is aware throughout and unable to move as they die.
1: Yeah, that will kill the fuck out of you, and it's not a pleasant way to go. Let me see if that's the same thing as the back. Pant, what did you call him?
0: Pavlon, P-A-V-U-L-O-N. One paramedic was sentenced to life for the murder of four patients. He also confessed to over 50 other murders to a, a cellmate. A second paramedic got 25 years for a particularly cruel murder and for assisting in murder. A doctor got six years and is not allowed to practice for 10 years for willfully endangering 10 patients, and another doctor got 5 and 10 for the same thing. You notice the omission of names there? <laughs> they're, they're impossible to pronounce. If you want to see the names of these people, all you got to do is research the skin hunters. You'll, you can say their names for yourself. Polish
1: names are complicated.
0: The investigation is ongoing still. 40 members of the casualty department are currently under investigation right now. Wow. This is recent.
1: It's crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. The um, that's uh, that would be so. So paramedics intubate people in the field. That's a thing that paramedics do. So they would have they would have that access to paralytics, and paralytics are not recreationally used in any way. It's not like a narcotic or benzodiazepine or anything like that. So they would not be tracked in the same way. Um, They're not Recreationally abusable So I could see a paramedic Finding that to be a temptation God what a horrible way to go
0: Amazing isn't it Yeah This I have um, I have an article From the New York Times that actually you sent me (coughs) Remember this So this is about uh, Deb Sampson Uh her story has always been one of the more astonishing if little known tales of the American Revolution. If you haven't noticed our historical tales are typically something you've never heard of. Uh, A woman who stitched herself a uniform posed as a man and served at least 17 months in an elite unit in the Continental Army. Wounded at least twice Deborah Sampson carried a musket ball inside her till the day she died in 1827.
1: That's a crazy statement right there.
0: Yeah. While historians agreed that Samson served in uniform and spilled blood for her country, gaps in the account have long led to some to wonder whether her tale had been romanticized and embellished, possibly even by her.
1: I know it's romanticized in my head when I think about her.
0: Yes. (laughs) She did fight... Did she fight in the decisive battle of Yorktown as she later insisted on multiple occasions... And how did she keep her secret for so many months she served in Washington's light infantry? I didn't see a picture of her, but I assume she had some manly features?
1: In my my mind, she does not. In my mind, she's very pleasant looking.
0: She's just a fancy lad. (laughs) (laughs) Now, scholars say the discovery of the long-forgotten diary recorded more than 200 years ago by Massachusetts' neighbor of Sampson, is addressing some of the questions and sharpening our understanding of one of the few women to take on a combat role during the Revolution. Deb Sampson, her story is mostly lost to history, said uh, Dr. Philip Mead, the Chief Historian and Director of Curational Affairs of the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia. Jesus Christ, people have long titles. mean that sentence is almost not even worth saying. I can barely breathe. So, finding a little piece of it is even more important than finding another piece of George Washington's history. I don't know if I agree on that. The museum bought the diary for an undisclosed sum after Dr. Mead spotted it at a New Hampshire antique show last summer. He plans to showcase it next year with other items about the role of American women played in the Revolution, as part of a larger celebration of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. The skeletal facts of Sampson's military service have long been known. After at least one failed attempt to enlist, she ultimately succeeded in joining and fighting with a Massachusetts Company that saw action in the Hudson Valley. Her secret went undiscovered until 1783 when, just months before the war's end, she fell sick in Philadelphia and was found out by a doctor. There was no reprimand, just an honorable discharge. So, <clears throat> do you picture him coming with a stethoscope? Uh, okay, breathe in. Hold on a second. What? What, what is this here? <laughs> I mean, how does that? How did that discover? And come? if only
1: she would have had prepared to say "gynecomastia," which is the term for male people who have breast tissue she would have been all
0: right and a well-known term in 1783 <laughs> uh, untangling the fuller story has been more complicated she left only a smattering of records in her own words and seems to have exaggerated her exploits at the urging of Herman Mann a sensationalist newspaper publisher now is he, this
1: the same man that was brewing beer and that's <laughs> St. Paul? oh that was Ham
0: <laughs> <laughs> um M-A-N-N is how he spells his name. Uh, H-A-N-N. Interesting coincidence. Uh, Yes, I planned that. (laughs) He took liberty with the facts in memoirs he ghostwrote for her in 1797 and had a hand in a florid speech she delivered during a paid lecture tour of New England. Each performance included a moment when she theatrically switched out of her dress and reappeared in light infantry garb. Ms. Sampson is a challenging figure, said Harvard professor professor Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, an expert on forgotten women. What does that say about you if you're an expert on forgotten women? (laughs) I know all there is to know about the forgotten woman. Because she recreated herself so many times and then was recreated again by her supposed biographer. As recently as 2016, Meryl Streep, one of your favorite actresses, recast history a bit while praising Sampson as a model of grit and grace at the Democratic National Convention. She referred to Mrs. Sampson as the first woman to take a bullet for her country. Uh, The designation more properly belongs to New York's Margaret Corbin who never enlisted but continued to fire her husband's cannon when he fell at Fort Washington, which I have right here. Uh, The diary written by Abner Weston suggests Samson likely did not fight at Yorktown, as she claimed. He dates Samson's botched enlistment to a period of around January 1782, months after the British thrashing of Yorktown. If you really want to put her at Yorktown, you could start stretching it, but that sounds like a pretty strong evidence that she probably wasn't there, uh, says this guy who has another long title. (laughs) That I'm not going to fucking read. He noted, though... See, you can tell I didn't rewrite this. This is verbatim from the New York New Times. Times. Thank you, New York Times.
1: Yeah. Also, fuck you, New York
0: yeah. Times. Just put Dave, and and we're good. <laughs> uh, the guy's name was David Osborne. Dr. David Osborne. Site manager and historic St. Paul Church. Blah, 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 fucking blah. He noted, though, that Samson would hardly be the first veteran to place herself at the scene of a prominent battle that might be more familiar to folks back home. Do I care?
1: All right, let's... Do let's, I care? Let's, let's commentate now. That, that's enough detail.
0: I mean, there's part of it from the...
1: There's a lot of speculation. We don't know. She obviously was a great actor. I mm-hmm. have a lot to say about all this.
0: There's a, like... Uh, Apart from the actual diary, it's like in the most terrible English you've ever heard. Oh man! But I mean, that was like the level of what you know someone writing a diary back then would have been. You know, that was edu- educated. I just can't find it. And I just it was the
1: ba- the battle that was the question. They questioned whether she was at was York Yorktown. Yeah, and that's Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. So she claimed she was there. This particular forest. Historian is skeptical because it predated her documented enlistment. Like, would you say that's correct? Yeah. So, then, like, what I think is probably true, and I believe Meryl Streep would agree, we should reach out to her. <laughs>
0: Wait, I'll, I'll write Meryl Streep personally.
1: Um, because, you know, she played Margaret Thatcher in the Iron Lady, so she's very qualified to comment on this particular historical reality.
0: Oh, here it is. In an entry from January 3rd, 1782, Weston wrote, with variant spelling, which is hard for you to see here, but I can see it.
1: My spelling is very variant. Like, in her defense, her spelling is definitely better than mine.
0: Well, this, I think, is a guy, Weston, who was writing about her. Yeah, There happened... A uncommon affair at this time, and there is T-H-E-I-R, happened as one P. For Deborah Sampson of this town dressed herself in men's clothes and hired herself to Israel Wood to go into three years service, but being found out returned the hire and paid the damages. So Samson's motivation for enlistment's never been cleared. Unabashed patriotism, financial distress—who So
1: she did this. She tried this a few times.
0: And pulled it off.
1: And pulled it off. So like and I killed think,
0: people and took a bullet.
1: I th- I think that it's probably true that when she officially enlisted and drew a paycheck and assumed a whole identity as a soldier in the Continental Army was probably not her first time.
0: But see, there's more in there about her trying to get payment and stuff and like they wouldn't pay her.
1: Yeah, I, like I, I'd say it's likely that her motivations were financial and yeah. like, that's cool, like I don't I don't go to work you know, for free like, I expect to be paid and so I, I get it and, but like I'd say it's Like, if we're talking about whether she was present at the Battle of Yorktown because the battle occurred before she's officially documented as part of the Continental Army, like, if she says she was there, she could have still been there. Because, like, I'm guessing when she enlisted was not the first time that she mimicked being a man and and did stuff.
0: So you think she was going in the bars and stuff?
1: Who knows? Like, it's a big step.
0: With a big old chaw and a cigar, because women knows? weren't supposed to like smoke cigars and stuff.
1: Like, like <clears throat> if you're gonna if you're gonna lead this huge, like life changing thing that's based on a lie, like you've tested that lie out a few times and sort of floated it to see how it went. That'd be my guess, based yeah. on. You know, obviously, every time I tell a lie, it's life changing. Like, I obviously try it out on a few friends first. <laughs> who knows, man? It's crazy. Yeah, it's I a mean, great story. Patriotism, you know,
0: like it's the patriotism aspect of
1: it. That's what that's what you'd cool. want to think, right? Like, and, and if patriotism was her goal, then yeah, maybe she was fighting at Yorktown, just as this unknown guy that wasn't even getting paid. But who knows? If her motives were financial, then. Maybe she was not. Um, I'll tell you this. She did more for her country than I did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't been shot at or shot a gun for the country. I mean,
1: I tried, and they told me no, so fuck them. But yeah. who knows? So, Margaret... Can, can we also... Yeah. Can we, can we tangent one more time? Um, I have... A daughter who's five, who's fun and cute, and and all of the questions that five year olds asks are entertaining in some way to try to answer. And we occasionally watch the movie Swiss Family Robinson. Are you familiar with that? Movie? Sure,
0: but I can't remember a thing about it. Well I know, you know I loved it when I was. They get a kid. stranded
1: and deserted on an island and they, they do battle with pirates. Ah. is the long and the short of it. And there's a young lady in the, the movie who pretends to be a boy in the presence of pirates for reasons that are obvious to you and me but not obvious to my five year old daughter Oh Jesus. and every time she asks me why this particular character pretends to be a boy and not a woman when the pirates are around and I never know what to say because I can't tell her the truth she's five so, but I also, like, I try to tell her that lying is not okay and the ends just don't justify the means. So, my, my five-year-old daughter just sees this lady as lying and I won't <laughs> tell her why.
0: <laughs> it's like, she almost, she's almost judging her for it. Right? Like, Dude, 25 years from now, she'll have her own podcast and she'll be like, you know... I- my dad really messed me up when I was a
1: kid. <laughs> I'll pay for the therapy. Yeah. Anyway, I when whenever I hear this story about this lady fighting the battle of Yorktown, all I can think of is me trying to explain, without explaining to Ruby why this young lady in Swiss family Robinson pretends to be a boy when she's hostage of the pirates. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, and who knows, real pirates? You're
0: probably not safe being a boy either. Indeed. So Margaret Cochran was born in western Pennsylvania on November 12, 1751, in what is now known as Franklin County. Her parents were Robert Cochran, a Scots-Irish immigrant, and his wife Sarah. In 1756, when Margaret was five years old, her parents were attacked by Native Americans. Her father was killed and her mother was kidnapped, never to be seen again. Margaret and her brother John escaped the raid because they were not at home. Margaret lived with the, her uncle for the rest of her childhood. How can you imagine Indian, your mother getting taken away and your father killed?
1: I mean, it, I'm just waiting for you to get to how their direct descendant is Johnny Cochran, who represented successfully OJ Simpson.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's in their, uh, what is it, where you get your... DNA tested. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's in their ancestry.com. ancestry.com. <laughs> in
0: 1772, at the age of 21, Margaret married a Virginian farmer named John Corbin. This kind of makes me think of the story you were telling about Laura's grandfather on the last episode. Watch, you'll see what I mean.
1: How did he? How'd she get from Pennsylvania down to Virginia?
0: You know, it's a. You can walk it. <laughs> When the war began, John enlisted in the 1st Company of Pennsylvania Artillery as Matros, an artilleryman who was one of the members of the cannon crew. As was common at the time for wives of soldiers, Marbert became a camp follower, accompanying John during his enlistment. She joined many of the other wives in cooking, washing, and caring for wounded soldiers, and uh, got the nickname of the time, Molly Pitcher. As did many women who served in the war, because they were bringing water uh, during the fighting to thirsty soldiers and to cool down the cannons,
1: which could get you hurt. By the way, oh yeah, that, that takes no small sum of courage. You're I in mean, combat. I, I have, I have a, a relative who was a, a combat medic, and and he wasn't bringing water. He was probably bringing meds and you know doing things to try to stabilize wounded people, but taking the same risks.
0: She was a nurse, too, so she was doing that, too. Yeah. Well, no- nurses
1: don't know fucking shit, I can tell
0: you that. As we know. <laughs> <clears throat> On November 16, 1776, Fort Washington, where John's company was part of the garrison, left behind when General George Washington retreated with the Continental Army to White Plains, New York, was attacked by the British. John Corbin was in charge of firing a small cannon at the top of a ridge today known as Fork Tyron Park. During an assault by the Hessians, John was killed, leaving his cannon unarmed.
1: Wait, help me. What are the Hessians? I don't
0: know. It seems like that's not the war we're talking about, but maybe I don't know what this conflict is. (laughs) Uh, During an... Yeah. Margaret had been with her husband on the battlefield the entire time, and after witnessing his death, she immediately took his place at the cannon continuing to fire until her arm, chest, and jaw were hit by enemy fire. The British ultimately won the Battle of Fort Washington, resulting in the surrender of Margaret and her comrades and the taking of the last American position in New York City. As the equivalent of a wounded soldier, Margaret was released by the British on parole. Hessians must have been a group of people that the British hadn't paid.
1: We'll have to revisit this and talk about it in the next podcast for... We obviously need a whole segment on the Hessians. Yeah, and
0: what is the country of Hesh, anyways? It can't be Hesh. We're from... (laughs) We're from the Hesh. The northern Hesh. (laughs) I'm making myself look really stupid, because I'm sure it's a true thing. Anyways. Because I just don't know. After the battle, Margaret went to Philadelphia, completely disabled from her wound, and never fully healed. Life was difficult for her because of her injury and in 1779, she received aid from the government. On June 29th, the Executive Council of Pennsylvania granted her $30 to cover her present needs and passed her case on to the Congress Board of War. On July 6, 1779, the Board, sympathetic to Margaret's injuries and impressed with her service and bravery, granted her half the monthly pay of a soldier in the Continental Army and a new set of clothes or its equivalent in cash. With this act, Congress made Margaret the first woman in the United States to receive a military pension from Congress. After Congress's decision, Margaret was included on military roles until the end of the war. She was enrolled in the Corps of Invalids, created by Congress for wounded soldiers. Seems like they probably have a better name than that now. That sounds like a terrible name.
1: sounds, yeah. In
0: 1781, the Corps of Invalids became part of a garrison at West Point, New York. She was discharged uh, by the Continental Army in 1783. Corbin received financial support from the government after the war, the first woman to do so. She died in Highland Falls, New York on January 6, 1800 at the age of 48.
1: She obviously recovered from her injuries because she lived another 40 years.
0: Yeah. A memorial commemorating her heroism was erected in 1909 near the scene of her service in what would later become New York City's Fort Tyrone Park. In addition, after the park was constructed, Margaret Corbin Circle lies just outside the main entrance, and Margaret Corbin Drive connects the circle through the park to Henry Hudson Parkway. There's one other interesting thing here. According to New York Historical Association, Corbin was honored as no woman of the revolution has ever been honored before. In 1926, the New York State Chapter of Daughters of the American Revolution verified Margaret's records and recognized her heroism and service to the United States through the papers of General Henry Knox. Remains believed to be her were exhumed and reinterred with full military honors at the cemetery of the United States Military Academy at West Point, behind the old Cadet Chapel in the West Point Cemetery. The Margaret Corbin Monument was erected by the DAR at the grave site. However, in 2017, an archaeological study revealed that the remains that had been moved were not those of Margaret Corbin, but rather a male. The locations of her remains are unknown. It
1: surprised me they got that wrong because it's really easy to tell a male from a female if you have the hip bone. They must not have had the pelvis. It's a big big difference. There's
0: like a whole song about that.
1: I mean, the jokes write themselves, but yeah. <laughs> that's I if there's one thing I remember from anatomy class, it's the that hip neck angle
0: bone connected to the what is it, the goat bone?
1: The <laughs> it's definitely the goat bone. The angle of the pelvis. There's like a twenty to thirty degree difference between men and women. There's no crossover and you know despite that in 2019 we're all supposed to be like dripping in gender fluidity there are actually differences between men and women
0: that you cannot well i guess there might be a way to change it with a hammer i don't
1: know <laughs> who knows none of the injuries that you described were to her hip true it was chin arm and chest
0: but um, pretty amazing story
1: it's an amazing
0: story when there are you know, all, this woman took the first bullet for America. Well, no, she didn't. There's this other girl. <laughs> interesting how one story leads to another.
1: Good times, man.
0: Yeah. So, in closing, if that's what we're doing,
1: I, I mean, or we keep drinking and talking. I'm I'm down for whatever.
0: So, check out our YouTube channel uh, where I make beer and play music that's so underground the underground doesn't even know. um I've been making new music on there um, I'm trying to think of like an album title for Everlasting Faint like the Cramps had the best one ever bad music for bad people But
1: yeah you wore that shirt the other day
0: but it's like I can't, ju- I can't take that name it's like it's like the shittiest music for the worst people Everlasting Faint is terrible music la, I mean like wait what are you trying to think of? like a, another way to say that same thing you know um,
1: like, a, like almost like a...
0: Like how, I mean, a way to describe... A
1: subtitle, or like a... Like everlasting faint.
0: I probably will never even bother.
1: You could say... Like... I'm not gay, but 20 bucks is 20 bucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that completely sum, <laughs> sums it up. <clears throat> uh, if you have questions or opinions... Uh, especially after that last comment you can email us at 84 ounces to freedom at gmail.com that's the number eight four the letters oz the number two freedom at gmail.com hit us up on facebook and twitter um i still haven't figured out the instagram one yet people like the instagram i don't i don't i like really like facebook Twitter's okay, and Instagram, I, I don't like at all.
1: I, I got nothing.
0: And people, like, try to talk to me on it, and I'm just like, dude, why aren't you on the face visit? I, I got nothing. The other day in staff, I said I'm on the Insta face and everyone laughed.
1: I mean, I'm on the, the...
0: You're on all the Twitters. The gram post, yeah. yeah you uh, hit me on MySpace? I, I, I don't mean, think MySpace is even a thing anymore.
1: I It, 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 it is, I bet. I bet it is.
0: This is, uh... So we,
1: we ran the air conditioning today because it's hot, and it, you're going to hear it in the background, and if you don't like it, fuck yourself.
0: Oh, hey, we're on Patreon, too. I don't know how to do anything with that, either, but I guess you can give us beer money on there. Um, uh, hasn't happened yet. But I'll tell you... We
1: will drink it if you...
0: We had a good... We had, like, 15 listens to our last episode. Nice. Unless you're listening to this every day. It's, it's,
1: I'm none of those listens. So,
0: if you listen to this, I try to reach out to everybody we mentioned. I mean, the last episode, I literally sent emails to the Siberian Times. <laughs> and, um, which ex- they accept emails in Russian or English. So, I didn't use my Russian. It's not up to par. But, um, so we are getting correspondence from people. Um, we got as you know last week we had some great uh, response from Dane Ladwig and uh, I reached out to the author who is of the opposite opinion of Dane and um, I didn't realize he was an author he's a businessman that has the piece of cloth that this Aaron Kosminski guy has his DNA and and we know he's the ripper And uh, basically he says Dane Ladwig's got it wrong he didn't give me a long, lengthy explanation or anything, but he does have a book. So,
1: so in the next episode, I'm, those two authors are going to arm wrestle live. We're going to describe
0: to you. Well, I have Dane's book, and I, I'm ordering the other guy's book, and I'll I, read it. And uh, Dave and I will read opposing books, and we'll fight.
1: We're gonna we're gonna debate it. We're gonna each we're gonna each only hear one side, and we're gonna like debate it.
0: I will master the topic, and you can debate it.
1: I mean, everyone knows that I'm a chronic master debater.
0: Yes. So. Yes. (laughs) Low-hanging fruit.
1: (laughs) It had to be done. I'm not mature enough to...
0: (laughs) One day we'll grow up. Probably the day we die.
1: Alright.
0: That's it. Thanks for listening. Um... Until next time, episode seven. Coming along, Dave.
1: I mean, it's it's easy to do. This is just what we would be doing if you weren't listening. We just happen to push record. We're we're and we're we're better at it when you're not listening, so Yeah. Know that.
0: And probably even more offensive. <laughs> I um I got something special planned for episode ten. It's gonna be fucking great. It's like an anniversary.
1: It's sounds good.
0: Actually, I have nothing planned. It just came to me that I should have something planned for I a
1: couple of master debaters. You never know what's going to happen.
0: All right, you guys. Until next time. Cheers.